Hi, this is James Lee from Encinitas, California, and you are listening to The Candid Frame. A few months ago, I attended the Focus on the Story Photo Festival in Washington, D.C. There, I met some amazingly talented photographers. They each shared a passion, not just for photography, but for telling stories. And unlike other photo events where the focus is often on the equipment and mechanics of image making, this festival focused more on the why. Why do these stories need to be told? Why do you have to be the one to tell it? Why do you have to persist with the work in a world awash with distraction, noise, and indifference? Photojournalist and documentary photographer Ruddy Roy is a photographer who knows exactly what drives him. Though he's now recognized for his talent, his passion, and his body of work, he's faced times when the phone didn't ring and the assignments didn't come. Yet, he persisted because he understood that photography for him was more than just a vocation. He knew the answer to the question of why do you keep going? You ask yourself, why are you doing it? And if your why is money, you will be insane. If your why is a hundred years from now, somebody's going to come and need this work. It's the biggest motivator to waking up every day and doing it to make sure that that person gets it a hundred years from now. And that's it. It's as simple as that. What makes Ruddy's work so exceptional is not merely who he photographs, but how he sees them even before he makes a single image. When he photographs people, especially men and women of color, he taps into his own experiences of loss, pain, joy, and longing. He creates portraits that are only possible when they include humility, empathy, and compassion. And so when I go out into the world and I look at faces, my first attempt at an engagement is to make this person understand that I know where the ground that you're standing on. And so I'll find the stories in me that resonates with them and we will share back and forth until we can get to the intersection where we both get to the truth. Albert Camus has a quote that says, when a soul has suffered, it develops a taste for the misfortune. And it is what has guided me. We'll talk to Ruddy about how his vision for his work allowed him to overcome adversity and how a conversation on a soccer field helped him to become a better man and father. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. Well, Ruddy, welcome to The Candid Frame. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you on the panel, and I could have talked to you for a lot longer, because there's so much to, 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 to cover. But... One of the reasons I really love your photographs is because I see so much of myself in them. And there are just a lot of photographers who love, who work, whose work I love and appreciate. But when I take a look at your images, not only do I see myself, but I, I see people who I know. Family members, guys I grew up with, people who I've worked with. You know, the fact that you tell your images you know, so beautifully and so intimately is something that I really admire and inspires me about the work. And working overtime, you know, when you're trying to make a living as a photographer, sometimes 
you can get concerned with getting the bills paid, getting the assignment. You know, if you're raising a family, all the challenges of that. And you can get so lost into it that at some point you forget why you're doing it. Do you know what I mean? Because I see a lot of other guys who, who've been doing it and they get burnt out or they get frustrated. And it seems like to me that you seem to be able to persist with being connected to the very passion, the very thing that drives you to do what you do. Is that, is that an accurate reflection or do you have those moments as well? I think, I think first I want to thank you for inviting me to the candid frame. And to answer your question, I think I have a little bit of both. I have to say from the bottom of my heart that I, I know that a lot of this walk has to do with faith. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and preach, but, you know, my, I, grew up, I grew up in a Baptist church. And I believe that when you're doing the good work, mm-hmm. it repays you. And I could have used a different word for good. Mm-hmm. But I don't want I don't want to alienate people by throwing religion into this conversation. But when you're doing good work, it repays you. And if you consistently do the work, then it doesn't matter if it doesn't win you the light. I do not do this work for the light. I do this work for the person who's going to come up 50 years from now wanting to carry this torch further down the road. I am just blessed to be able to to equal to live in while I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And if that means working at a camera store as a, a clerk, I'll do it. If it means doing smaller jobs that pay 200 bucks or less money than, what, say, a, a Nat Geo will pay you, I'll do it. My wife and I have this, this word I use, I call it monkey money. And it's, it's another word of saying peanuts. I'll, I'll work for peanuts. And those little $150, $200, add up at the end of the day at the end of the day I am not trying to to gain accolades I am I am focused on this idea of creating a better world not for the world but for two boys for Mosiah and Ayoshua and if I can do that through images and don't get me wrong photography is also the way I teach them Mm -hmm. I'm not going to wait until the curriculum change for them to understand who Nat Turner is. I'm not going to wait for the curriculum to change to understand what social justice is and how how Mosiah at 14 can help help to create change even even among his friends. Um, He goes to school that's very diverse and you know I remember him coming back home one day to no it was a parent who asked me is Mosey in love with a transgender? And of course I was like in my mind, so what if he is? That was the first thing I said, so what if he is? In my mind. Mm-hmm. But then I am. I was concerned in the fact that what if he's being teased? What if that's why she's... So that evening I called him and I said, Mosiah, tell me about this transgender person. He's like, Dad, he's, he's my friend. Um, I don't, I'm not going to call the person's name on the podcast, but this is somebody that he has played ball with. And as... The person transitioned, their status as a friend did not change. So at the dance, the person said, though they're transitioning from boy to girl, mm-hmm. the person said, can we have a dance? Mosey danced as if he was dancing with anybody else. And I guess that shocked the rest of the parents. But to him, that person was still 
his friend. Mm-hmm. And so that's the kind of, that's why I'm doing this work. That's why I'm engaged and f- as focused. Because I, I want when Mosiah goes out into the world, he is that same light. Mm-hmm. And for somebody who believes in the gatekeeper, I believe that I, when my father died, I became that gatekeeper. And so I have it to instill in him those lessons, those values that I know that will take him forward. And it's really, it's really from my Instagram to my home, it is really, really the tool that I use to teach. Yeah. That's what it is. My, my Instagram is about exploration, finding the stories in me, putting them out there so that it resonates with other people. So that as they move out into the world, they can be different people. Yeah. Looking at just the, the quantity of work that you've produced over the years, there's an amazing consistency in terms of not just subject matter, but the sensitivity by which you approach your subjects and your images and you tell your stories. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you, but we didn't have time there at the, at the event, was how did becoming a father influence or change or, or, you know, transform how you saw your role as, as a photographer and a storyteller? I used to fight with my hands a lot. Becoming a father made me transition from using my hands to my brain. It was, or my eyes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I fought physically a lot. From I was 10 years old until I was maybe 35 or 36. I fought. Uh, my wife has stories, can tell you stories of me fist fighting in my 30s. And it wasn't until Mosiah was born, I was, I was almost, I was in a shouting match with a referee. And an old Trinidadian walked over to me and he said, young man, you only have one job in this world. And I looked at him side-eyed because he was also a member of the team that I was fighting. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, go home to your son. That's all he said. And in that moment, I realized one thing. It doesn't matter how bad I am. It doesn't matter how much I can fight. Any mistake, any wrong slice from that dude can prevent me from going home to my kid. And that was the lesson from that day forward. I have not fought mm-hmm. on another field. I have not... I mean, and it, it, it made me see my importance. And losing my father, losing my father, the way I lost my father, has instructed or nurtured the steps I take in how I present myself as a, as a human, in how I enjoy this life that I have, and how I try to enrich the community that's around me to first respect life and to make it more enriching for those, those, yeah. those who are around us. You know that I, I didn't realize that your father had died from suicide, and I hope you don't mind me, me mentioning it. But the loss of a father is always sort of traumatic, and when you lose someone to suicide for whatever reason, it is incredibly difficult because the loss is so sudden and it's unexpected. Even if the signs were there, you just couldn't read it. And one of the things that that speaks to me is not just about the issue of mental health and suicide, is, is the impact it has on the people that it leaves behind. Mm-hmm. Right? You get to photograph people who are suffering from loss. It may not be the 
death of a parent by suicide. It could be the death of a son or daughter to, to drug abuse or to police, know, harass, police, police harassment, yeah. whatever it is. And, and I'm wondering, having had that visceral pain of losing your father the way that it did, when you go out, because you're, you're all about empathy in your imagery, mm-hmm. how does that sort of help you or, or I, I don't want to use the, the wrong word for it, but I think it can't help but do something in terms of how you relate to people. Because even if they don't tell you about the loss, I think that sometimes you can just feel it. You can just see it. Because you mentioned that in a couple of the photographs that you had up there, is that you could see it in the young man's face and the way his body was, that he is experiencing pain and loss. And I'm just wondering how your own loss has sort of informed the way you engage, you see, you photograph. Um, I think it, there's this book I, I read in college, um, Burger, Ways of Seeing. Mm-hmm. I cultivated from a, a very young age, this ability to see, whether it's empathy, compassion. I grew up being the son that saw, the son that my mom would tell me, you know, I, I can remember she, she would, she, when, when we're together, when she visits, she would say to me, I remember when I told you to go buy kerosene oil. And I know that it was one of the most, the word is not demeaning, but it's it's like it's not it's not the thing that a a kid who is going through puberty wants to see wants to be seen by other kids doing because it meant poverty it meant you couldn't afford a gas stove or you couldn't afford but I, and I had to walk fifteen miles with it with the jug in my hand to take a taxi and she said I remember how you would do it gladly or you'd wash the bathroom out, even though you know that I would be the one. It was my job. I remember how I did that because I wanted to please her. Mm-hmm. And so when I go out into the world and I look at faces, my first attempt at an engagement is to make this person understand that I know where the ground that you're standing on. Mm-hmm. And so I find the stories in me that resonates with them and we will share back and forth until we can get to the intersection where we both get to the truth. And it's Albert Camus has a quote that says, when a soul has suffered, it develops a taste for the misfortune. And it is what has guided me. Um, When I go into the neighborhoods and I see brothers who are standing on street this the street corners i don't see worthless and laziness i hear worthless and laziness because i used to hear that about me and so i'm i'm saying if 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 i can hear that i just can't imagine what you are carrying and so when i bring my story to to meet their story it only results in an in a in an amazing conversation around how to be men yeah. How are we being men? How can we be better fathers? How are you being? How are you as a father? Mm-hmm. And it usually results in a, an, an image that is compassionate, an image that is rich with, with empathy, because that, that's how I feel when I'm there. I feel like I have yeah. met you at your intersection, at my intersection. And in it, there is 
there's a camaraderie, there's an exchange in how to be brothers, how to be fathers, how to be better humans. And, and, and the picture for me is, is a result of that conversation, of that union, that engagement. I mentioned in the, in the conversation about this idea of how, you know, black people, but especially black men, can be dismissed. And, and I've had, in, you know, uh, instances, and I know that you have as well, when men come up to you, and say, take my picture, right? Never had someone white or Asian do that. And I was thinking about what, what, what's that about? And part of it is like, I want you to see me. I want you to acknowledge me I and exist. my press. I, I exist. exist. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is a pain. Mm-hmm. And I think that you are able to connect, mm-hmm. to connect that and understand it. Because it's hard to explain that to someone who hasn't experienced it. Years. Who doesn't experience that on a regular basis. Years. Right? Years. Years. Between 19... No, between 2004, 5 to 2015. 2014, 13. Nobody called me for stories. Mm. I, I felt like I was marginalized. And I'm talking about, I don't even know if I had the same skill set. I don't even know if I, I could shoot as well as I shoot now. But still, I look at work now by what I would call mediocre standards. And they, they're working. There was nobody calling me. Nobody cared about the stories that I, that I was telling. And so when I look out at the street corner, I understand every line in that person's face. Because when I used to look in the mirror, I used to watch those lines get cemented Mm. into the flowers of my forehead and and watch as maybe it was something that my son said that would smooth it out. Or maybe a phone call that came in that would smooth it out. Maybe it was a job that was... I I recall when my second son was born and I said to my wife that, I think it'd be best if I did daycare at home because I'm not earning $400 a week for daycare. But if I stay home, I'm saving us. Like I used to make these decisions, knowing full well that when I, had, when I got a call and I did get a call to photograph Whoopi Goldberg, I had to run with my son on a blanket to photograph her with Barbara Walters on one side being photographed by another photographer. I think it was Mark Seliger. The story in that is I only had one light, one stool, with a Hasselblad photographing Whoopi with my son on a blanket in the corner. When I was done, Barbara Walters was being photographed by Mark Seliger. And as we were, me and my assistant were packing and leaving, Mark Seliger's assistant ran over to us and go, can we borrow your stool? <laughs> we don't have... And Mark Seliger had octobanks and two lights and mm-hmm. three and it you know these were the these are the little stories that I would go home with like I, you know I'm like you know if you keep pressing if you keep doing this you punch through that wall it's all I did to wake up the next morning it's these stories that I carried yeah but it it's the stories I tell are stories that I I, I, I have lived with I have existed with I have put fire under Fan it, gave it, gave it, gave it air so that it could burn. 
these are the same stories that I live with. There's not, there's not one story that I've written or, or told or photographed that I have not lived through. Mental illness. I, I was around it for 20 years. I watch my father every day. I've watched him, though you wouldn't quote unquote say, you know, he wasn't walking on the street half naked, but my mom stepped over him on her way to church as he laid in a gutter, drunk. So, again, psyche. What does that do to the psyche of a, of a woman who, who is one of the biggest names in my city as a school teacher? Like, the whole city knows her, yet she's going to church Sunday morning. She comes out of the taxi and the, the body she steps over is her husband in the middle of the city. Like, I think about that when I, when I, I listen to brothers talk about the fathers that they grew up with or the mothers that they grew up with and understand that, that they have a name, they have a story. And my job is to present it in such a way that anybody that reads this or look at it know that they have an uncle, they have an aunt who's just like this. Yeah. And these are our stories. It's not... It's not a singular story. It's a story that exists in almost every household. And that's, that's what I'm trying to get at in doing these stories. That we're, we're humans. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, but one that I've repeated far too often was to deny myself an opportunity. I would discover something that I wanted to do, but would rationalize some reason why I shouldn't even try. I can't ask that girl to go out with me. She's out of my league. I can't apply for that job. I don't have all the qualifications. I can't enter that contest. I'd be competing with people that are so much better than me. I avoided rejection and failure by saying no to myself before anyone else could. It seemed like sound logic then, but... I know that though I would have had to face some rejection, there might have been moments when I could have succeeded had I just tried. Thankfully, I've learned to put myself out there more, saying yes to myself rather than saying no. Instead of being led by fear and anxiety and insecurity, I just focus on doing the footwork. I just do what needs doing and try not to obsess on the outcome. And while some things haven't resolved in my favor, there have been others that have. But regardless of the outcome, I've always been happy with myself that I at least tried. My latest effort is to try and get nominated for the annual podcast awards in the categories of art and the people's choice. I've never tried before because I didn't think I'd stand out amidst the tens of thousands of podcasts that are out there. This year, I just said, screw it. I'm just going to try it anyway. To land a spot on the nominations list, I have to solicit your help. It's by listeners and fans nominating TCF that gets me a nomination slot from which a winner in each category is eventually chosen. You can help me do that by going to podcastawards.com, register on the site, and place a vote for the candid frame in the arts and people's choice categories. Admittedly, I feel a little anxious about even asking, as I fear people will hear this and not take the time to do it, and I'll look foolish. But what the hell? You gotta play to win. 
So go to podcastawards.com, register, and put in your vote, and let's see what happens. Thanks. Help the Candid Frame to continue bringing you great conversations with some of the world's best photographers. You can do this by supporting our Patreon effort by committing as little as $5 or more a month. When you do this, you not only help us to meet the cost of production, but provide us the time and resources we need to bring you conversations you won't hear anywhere else. Sign up today by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. Thank you. The strength of your work is the fact that you reveal people of color in all the different ways that they can and are, that they can be and are. The stories that we hear outside that are told by other people, they got a singular idea of what a black man is, or a black father, or a black husband. Your images show that it's not just one thing. It's not monolithic. It's so different. It's yes. so varied. They're good fathers, they're bad fathers, they're present fathers, they're everything. And the struggle is being able to say that this story, though it doesn't fit your presumption that's been built on all this crap, BS, that these people's stories, told honestly, deserve to be seen and listened to. And I know you get pushback to that mm -hmm. because the editors at the magazines or wherever have an idea of what the story should be. Mm -hmm. Right? Sheila was talking yesterday about her suburban project and people looked at that and go well you should call it black suburbia mm -hmm. because I can't believe that black people live like me mm -hmm. right they, they has a disconnect there was an assumption that well all black people live in the ghetto mm -hmm. that they they're crack pipes and bottles and all that stuff around there and so I know that for you it's very especially your Instagram feed provides you the means for you to have control of your story, but you still have to have, make a living. Mm -hmm. And how, you, how do you not get angry and frustrated to the point that it becomes debilitating having to contend with that? Because even with all the accolades you earned and the reputation you've earned, that doesn't absolve you of all that stuff. You ask yourself, why are you doing it? And if your why is money, you will be insane. If your why is a hundred years from now, somebody's going to come and need this work. It's the biggest motivator to waking up every day and doing it mm -hmm. to make sure that that person gets it a hundred years from now. And that's it. It's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. This work is needed. It, 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 is, it is not going to mean anything to anybody right now. Its relevance is yet to be determined. A hundred years from now, when we have unwrapped all these images somebody's gonna go oh we need we need some oh there it is ready did some of that and so i have to wake up every day to do it yeah you mentioned roy de caravan and that's exactly his during the time that he was making those images of the jazz performers and he all didn't those get his people, due no he never got his due and he was such a generous man i got a chance to meet with him and hang out with him and it was just amazing how how giving he was but being that way doesn't necessarily translate they, into... They never saw him to be as great as 
the Eugene Smiths, the Robert Frank. To me, he was a way, to me, way, his relevance. I mean, no disrespect to any photographer, but, you know, Robert Frank is revered as the father of photojournalism. People need to study Roy. His relevance to the, the, the architecture of blackness and, and, and the black image makes him just as important as Robert Frank. And I, I feel like you cannot appreciate Roy until you see his prints. Mm-hmm. Because I remember when I first saw his prints. Those grays. Those grays and those blacks. It's like everybody now in terms of printing is like, oh, you got to display a wide tonal range. You got to have crisp whites. Because I looked at his photographs and I didn't think it was possible to make an image that worked with a limited range of tones Mm -hmm. where it's just like kind of black and kind of gray Mm -hmm. and there's no white to be had in that Mm -hmm. print but the sound I saw black Nina would say unapologetically black so when you look at your work you know yeah you're you're putting stuff on Instagram you're getting the stuff published in, in in magazines and like as you said, you're creating a body of work that's going to have a sort of a legacy. But I think any any photographer has to periodically look at themselves, look at their work, sort of reassess: what am I doing? Um, is it working? Is it not working? Because uh, you can get so you can fall so deep into the rabbit hole that you don't realize that you've lost your way, as well intended as you may be. So how do you sort of regain your bearings? to make sure that you're still staying on point. I watch a lot of news. I listen to a lot of music, especially the music that my son is listening to. A couple, couple about a year or two ago, he was listening to Millie Rock and, and, and doing the Millie Rock. And I asked him if he knows what Millie Rock means. And he said no. And so we went on the internet. And the Millie, Millie, the Millie Rock actually means militant rock, where men come on your block and shoot it up. And I asked him, is that something that you want to associate yourself with? And he was like, no, dad. And so for me, there's always this, the, my goal is to keep, to keep the culture as pure, and if there's, such a, if there's such a way of saying it, as pure as possible, but find ways to glean from it those aspects of it that you can pull positivity from. Mm-hmm. So... Though we listen to all this music, I say, listen to the style that he uses. Listen to... And it is my engagement with pop culture. My engagement with... I started to listen. This one guy kept telling me on the internet that my work was poverty porn. And one night, we had a big argument. And the next morning, I woke up really bothered by our argument. But I did, I, I'm, I'm really rooted in the fact that I'm going to do this work like there's so many people shooting nudes the moment so many people shooting pretty people there's so many people shooting there are not enough people sh- photographing the dude that just left prison after 25 years mm-hmm. and that's what's happening now remember all these guys went away in the 80s put 20 25 years on top of that yeah. right all these guys are went in the 90s put 25, 20, 25 years. We're talking about now. My time in, in Brooklyn, these are the guys that I pass on the street. They're out, not being a part of society. And so 
it's it's important it's important it's important to me to make sure that I give an amplifier to somebody who literally says to me I have no idea where to turn what to do I have no idea and for me that is a huge motivator yeah that allows me that gives me fuel to continue to create a narrative to say that this person is also human this person needs our help i mean i change i change up money every week just to be able to i mean i don't tithe in church but on the street somebody says dread i need some food i said where let's go McDonald's, the bodega sandwich whatever that sandwich is called i can't remember the the sandwich i'm it's it's if 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 it's if it's that much yeah. then i'll do it at lunch so that you eat but we have to we have to be that part of society that sees that 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 offers the hand when nobody else when everybody else shake their head and move on and shrug yeah um, my last question which i asked you you're going to get a second opportunity you recommended it's going to be the same it's going to be the same it has to be roy that's okay it has to be roy to me he is the godfather of what i'm doing he is the spring that spring that i could walk over with two steps it is now that river that's rushing to the sea he is he's it yeah. um and no disrespect to to gordon love gordon tony parks and i were a part of komonge together before she passed god rest her soul but roy allowed me and the many black photographers to see that we can elevate the iconography of black images to a place where it is respected the same way everybody else's narrative is respected yeah. amen brother thank you so much man it was a thank pleasure thank you for having me thanks to brother for sharing his time and story with us you can find out more about him and his work by visiting ruddyroy.com and special thanks to Kurth Bob and the Eaton Workshop for the use of their podcast studio for this interview. To hear and see me talk about my personal photographic process, visit the TCF YouTube channel, where I offer comments on photography submitted by TCF listeners who contribute to the TCF Flickr pool. Check out the TCF Flickr pool and our YouTube channel by clicking on the link in the show notes and the website. My latest book, Making Photographs: Developing a Personal Visual Workflow, is now available. Purchase it today and receive 40% off the list price when you order it from the Rocky Nook website. Use the promo code PORELLO40 at checkout to take advantage of the discount. And receive 3 free copies of my previously published ebooks by signing up for the Candid Frame mailing list, where I share thoughts about life, photography, and keep you updated on TCF events. If you enjoy the show, help to spread the word by writing a review wherever you find and listen to podcast. And if you write a review on a blog post, let me know and send me a link because I would really like to thank you on air. Thanks to Atrapat from the US for his recent five-star review. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon or you can make a one-time contribution via PayPal. You'll find the links for both in the show notes and the website. And if you want to easily access every episode of the Candid Frame, download the Candid Frame app. It's available for both Apple iOS and Android and it's free. 
And if you scroll down on the app, you'll find a free excerpt of my book that you can download. We also have an Alexa app, so if you have one of those smart devices, download the skill and listen to the show that way. The Candid Frames audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.